morning. Um, yeah, so it's interesting because, you know, we've been talking about David in 3D, talking about the whole man, every aspect of, of his life. And, you know, the last two weeks we've been talking about betrayal. And today we're going to talk about something that's a little more, um, a little more hopefully lighthearted, a little more encouraging. We're going to talk about the marks of true friendship. C.S. Lewis says, friendship is born and the, at the moment one man says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. That's the moment when friendship is born, when you, when you have that connection. Can you think back? Who was your very, very, very first friend when you were a little kid? Anybody remember? Remember those friendships? Does anybody still have a relationship with that person today? Really? That's crazy. That's awesome. Anybody else? It's rare, isn't it? It's rare to have a friendship for years and years and years. But when we talk about Jonathan and David today, we're going to talk about the 10 things. Um, it's not a, an exclusive list, but 10 things that really mark a, a true and a loyal friend and a godly friend. Um, there's a show, a, a television show, um, and it's called A Million Little Things. And one of the quotes is, friendship isn't a big thing, it's a million little things. And that really is true of friendship, isn't it? It's not just like one thing. It's like there's all kinds of little things that you can appreciate and love about that person. And the more that you get to know them, the more committed you can become and, and really understand who that person is and what makes them tick. Um, and so today we're going to do things a little bit differently. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read. A, we're going to read a section together about the interactions with Jonathan and David, and then I'm going to pull out of those some. I'm going to extrapolate some of the characteristics of true friendship, um, the marks of a true friend. So we're going to start in First Samuel 18. Um, I, I'm using the ESV. If you're pulling out your phone, um, it's the English Standard Version. 1 Samuel 18, starting with verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and wouldn't let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him, again, as his own soul. What that really means, it, it means that Jonathan loved him as himself. He loved him as much as he loved himself. He was completely committed to him, completely committed to David. And then this is really significant. In verse 4, it says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. What this symbolized at the time... Uh, Jonathan was the guy that was supposed to take the kingdom because his father, Saul, was the king. And Jonathan was the prince or obviously the next heir in line for the kingdom. But when he took off his robe, that symbolized him saying, I believe that you're supposed to be the next king of Israel. It was almost like a prophetic um, insight that he had that David was going to become the king. And this is a significant thing because in those days, 
rather than um, uh, giving away your power, you, you would grab for your power. And a lot of times what kings in those days would do is when they became the successor, they would, they would kill anybody else that would get in their way. So this is a really powerful and significant symbol of Jonathan saying, David, I believe in you. I believe you're supposed to be the king. So the whole, the whole time that this is going on, so we've been talking about Saul and the betrayal. Saul really represents our enemies. And he even represents the enemy of our souls. Saul was out to kill. He was out to cut off. He was out to, to compete with. Jonathan is the absolute opposite spirit. He is there to, to lift his friend up. So point number one, the mark of a true friend. A true friend commits to the relationship. I'd like you to, as we go through these 10 marks, I would like you to really examine yourself. And um, I, I think it's easy for us. We have the tendency to think, oh, I wish I had a friend like that. But today, let's examine ourselves and see, am I a friend like that? Is that how I am? So the first one commits to their relationship. A true friend commits to the relationship. In other words, they, they say, like Jonathan, he loved David as himself. He loved him as his own soul. He was completely committed to seeing David succeed and to seeing David become everything God had created him to be. And you know the saying is, the best way to have a friend is to be one. Yep. Um, you know, throughout the years, I've had... Um, lots of friends through, you know, through different seasons, you have different friendships. And um, there's one friendship that I've had for many, many years. And it started out in college. um, And it's actually a guy. We were never romantically involved, but we were, we were really, really close friends. And it kind of started out really silly. Like we would just joke around together a lot and, and hang out. But it, we went through some really hard times together. And even to this day, um, his wife now has a, a really serious illness, a debilitating illness. And, you know, and it's, it's so interesting to me because even when I get on the phone with him, his name is Kevin Waynesees, and when I get on the phone with Kevin, it's as if no time has passed and, and I think, you know, even in the beginning, it was like we committed to each other that we were going to be friends. And, and we've been through a lot of really hard times together, but we've been through a lot of really good times. But he is still someone, when I pick up the phone, it's just, it's like day one. It goes right back to day one, and we're just super tight. Um, on the other hand, I've had friendships where, like, I've invested my life and given my, my heart and, and loved them deeply and then they just turned and walked away and those that's what we've been talking about with the betrayal by the way um if you ever miss a message and you're interested in hearing it um you can always go on our website it's uh theadventure.church and you can go under media either listen to the podcast or the video um another mark of a true friend is that they prefer their friend over their self, over themselves. You know, the golden rule, which is actually scriptural, says, so do to others as you would what? Have them do to you. That's the best way to be a true friend. 
is to treat people the way that you would want them to treat you, right? I mean, none of this is going to be really revolutionary. This is going to be more a reminder for us today. But also, um, you know, I've really felt like we're in a season as a church where we are going to really be focusing on relationships. That's one reason why we want to serve food in between services and after the service is because food, again, there's a significance there, but, but, but really church is about relationship. And that's why we're, we're really sensing that because of all the hardships and the trials we've been through in the last few years, you know, we were kind of scattered. And, and I really feel like the Lord is, is calling us to come back together in relationship and unify. Um, but be the friend that you want others to be. Be the friend that you would like others to be toward you. Another mark, number three, a true friend sacrifices for their friend. You cannot be a friend to someone and not give to them in one way or another, whether it's your time or your you know, your skills, if they're, if, if they're not good at something and you are, let's say they're really good at computers and, and you're really not, um, or you're really good at um, maybe organizing or whatever, a true friend gives. You cannot be a friend and not give. It's just not even possible. Um, John fifteen twelve says, this is my commandment. This is Jesus talking. He says that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And what does Jesus command us? To do what? To love. To love one another. And that's what we're about. That is what Christianity is about. Loving one another. Do you know that there are 58 one another's in the Bible? Love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, honor one another, prefer one another. There's 58 different one another's. So when people say, well, you know, I'm a really spiritual person. I just don't like to go to church or I just, I don't believe in organized religion. You, you can't really be completely fulfilled in your relationship with the Lord aside from having a relationship with the ones that he died for. It's about relationship with those he loves. You know what I'm saying? You guys are really quiet. Is anybody convicted? (laughs) One time uh, years ago, we had this friend, and um, speaking of giving, and he wasn't necessarily uh, much of a giver. He was kind of more of a taker. So one time he called us up and he said, hey, um, I'd like to bring you guys a meal. And we're like, really? Wow, maybe he's really growing. He's really changing. And uh, so, so he made us this amazing meal. And, and my husband and I were kind of looking at each other like, wow, the Lord has really grown this guy. He, this is exciting. We were so excited until he got out his um, circles and started trying to sell his Amway. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> So anyway, I've worked through the forgiveness though, so we're good. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so funny because it's like we really were hoping that for his sake, you know, that he had become a person who could grow in relationship that way. Because when you're really just like self-protective and you're just taking all the time, it's really hard to develop an intimate relationship with people, right? 
Um, okay, so moving on to the next section in 1 Samuel 19. Um, 1 Samuel 19, starting with verse 1. It says, Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. Okay, so things have gone really south with Saul, right? Saul is intent on killing David. He wants to obliterate David. He's super jealous of him, which we talked about the last couple of weeks. But Jonathan is still really committed. This is his best friend. This is his, his comrade, you know, this is a guy, he literally would die for him. And so he's really torn. I mean, imagine you've got your dad on one side who hates your best friend and wants to kill him. And then you've got your best friend who hasn't really done anything. And so, so uh, Jonathan was really torn. It says, but um, Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me and talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant, David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? It's like, come on, dad. You're, you're freaking out over nothing. This, you, are, you are not seeing this clearly. You are not seeing who David really is. And how many of you know that when you're bitter or, or unforgiving towards someone, you cannot see them for who they really are? You notice that? whether it's your spouse or family members or friends. That's why we consistently talk about forgiving people because you cannot see them through the eyes of God when you have bitterness against them. And Saul clearly had bitterness against David. And it was really unwarranted. It was more just Saul's own imaginations. So, so Jonathan is trying to cover for him. He's trying to say, Dad, David's a good guy. He's saying all these things about him. It says, you were certainly happy about the victory then. Why would you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it at all. And so then it says, Saul listened to Jonathan. And then he vowed, a vow which he did not intend to keep. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. So a true friend, number four, a true friend encourages their friend. You know, David needed some encouragement. He was really, he was frustrated and he, and he was really perplexed about this. The whole time he's like, I don't understand why Saul is so mad at me. Don't you hate that feeling when you know someone's mad at you and you just don't understand why? And this is kind of the situation. And so Jonathan is a, an encourager. He encourages his friend consistently. He reminds him of who he is, which is really what encourage means. Encourage means to put courage into someone, to remind someone of, hey, this is who you really are, despite all this stuff. This week, I, um, I, I had a little correspondence with somebody, um, somebody that doesn't live here, and, um, you know, they were just believing a lot of lies about themselves. You know, they were just saying all these things that were just so far from the truth, and, and it's, you know, there's always that fine line when you're, when you really want to encourage someone because you don't want to just kind of give them a little pat answer or you don't want to invalidate how they really are seriously feeling about themselves. But 
This guy was just, he was, a, he was a friend from way back and he was just really, really down on himself, really living under the cloud of shame about some things. And, um, and, and so when I first read the message, I was, I was really brokenhearted. I was really sad. Just thinking, wow, this person who I know is amazing. He was just so, just so down on himself, not believing the truth about who God made him to be. And so I, when I responded back to him after I prayed, because I didn't even want to respond immediately, but after I responded, I, I first of all validated how he was feeling because that was legitimate. But then I said, hey, I want you to know who I see you as. I want to remind you of who the Lord created you to be. This is who I see. And I started naming all these characteristics of him. He's, uh, he's an amazing human being. He's really gifted and personable and, and just, God has such a call in his life, but he forgot. So to end courage means to put courage back in someone. Sometimes it just means reminding them, hey, remember what God said to you? Remember the promises of God? Or remember when you were walking strong with the Lord and, and what you knew your call was? Sometimes that's what we have to do. And that's what Jonathan would do for David. He would remind him of who he was when David was so confused and perplexed. Um, Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. This is a really good parenting um, passage for your, for your kids to know that um, just this is a freebie, but if you have young children and you have a, a check in your gut about a friend, go with the check. Don't sacrifice your child in order to be, um, I mean, don't put them out for the slaughter. If, you, if there's something you're sensing, I mean, maybe you're wrong, but, but I would not just dismiss it. Save yourself a lot of pain because whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And that's one of the things about, about Jonathan's relationship with David was Jonathan really was a wise man and he could speak life and speak courage to David. And Romans 1.12 says that this is what we're supposed to do. We, that we, we may mutually encourage, be encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. This means in those times where, for example, with this friend of mine that, that I was corresponding with, um, you know, he forgot who he was. God, God had clearly given him specific gifts and talents and a calling, but he had forgotten. And, and so when I could speak to him about the things that the Lord had shown me about him, I, I think that it really encouraged him. And that's what we're called to do, to mutually encourage. Which is another reason it's good to walk with the wise. And what wise really means is, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. People that, that know the Lord and love the Lord. Um, a true friend speaks well of their friend. So Jonathan's talking to, to Saul and he's trying to convince him. He's going, but David's a good guy. He spoke well of him despite the things that Saul was saying. And a true friend will do that. You know, a true friend will stand up for their, for their friend if someone starts dissing on them or gossiping about them. And again, I'll say it again. The truest way, the first and, and most 
effective way to shut down gossip is to speak a blessing over the person against whom they're gossiping, right? Someone comes up and they're like, oh, she is so... And you're like, wow, I don't think she's like that at all. I think she's really actually really kind or whatever. That's the best way to shut down gossip and not involve yourself. Um, Aristotle says a friend holds a mirror up to us. That can be both good and bad, right? The mirror can either tell you something you don't want to know or it can tell you something that you do. I actually heard that um, they say that when a man looks in the mirror, he sees all of his good qualities, but when a woman looks in the mirror, she sees all of her negative, negative qualities. Isn't that true? Yes? Justin, do you confirm this? <laughs> Justin's like, yeah, looking good. No? Oh. <laughs> okay, I'll speak well of you. But isn't that, isn't that what our friends do? They can tell us the truth, you know? The whole thing about, hey, does this outfit look good on me? Or, you know, or hey, um, you know, was I, did I speak too harshly to my wife? Or, you know, you know, you can go to your friend and you can say, speak to me about who I really am. Tell me how I'm coming across here. And a true friend will do that for you. They won't just tickle your ears. Um, uh, Number six, a true friend protects their friend. You know, it's like Saul wanted to kill David and, and Jonathan was trying to stand in the way. He's like, no, why would you do this? Why would you kill an innocent man? A true friend will protect their friend. And sometimes this happens spiritually too. You know, when your friend is going through a really rough time, to pray for them, to lift them up and to encourage them in that way. Sometimes you have to be the one that, that believes enough. You know, sometimes you have to borrow someone else's faith. You know? That's what a true friend does. A true friend, and and let me just say this too. After you pray for your friend, send them a text and tell them that you prayed for them. You know, I can't even tell you how many times I've done this. I'll pray for somebody, and not to, you know, not for any perks or anything, but just, hey, I'm thinking about you, and I'll send them a text. Hey, I'm praying for you now. And it's uncanny to me how the, how the Lord uses that to encourage the other person, but you're protecting them from whatever battle it is that they're going, they're going through. Um, so moving on in the next section here, now it, things are getting really, really bad. So this is first Samuel, uh, chapter 20, verse 11. It says, Jonathan said to David, come, let's go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out to my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not close it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And again, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as his own soul. Again, a friend speaks the truth to you. They tell you things that you may not want to hear, right? Don't you, don't you want to know, though, if you have a booger in your nose? <laughs> I mean, isn't that a true friend who will say, hey, I, I, have, I have a friend and sh- sh- 
I call her my bat in the cave friend because she'll always come up to me, bat in the cave, and she'll let me know. You know, and that's a true friend. You know, a true friend will let you know that that outfit just doesn't do you justice. Or, you know what, you're, when you talk to your kids like that, it's, it's, it's really hard on them. It's too strong or whatever. A true friend will speak the truth to you. And that's what Jonathan did for David. He told him, he's like, yeah, my dad hates your guts. Sorry. This is the thing, but he's saying, I am committed to you. I am committed to walking with you through this thing. A true friend speaks the truth. Um, Proverbs 27, five says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Wouldn't you rather have your friend tell you the truth than your enemy tell you a lie about who you are? You know, even though sometimes it's hard, it's like, oh, it's hard to hear it. Wouldn't you much in the long run, much rather have someone tell you how things really are or even how you're coming across, maybe in in a group setting or at work or, you know, a true friend protects their friend. So what's happening here is they're having this banquet um, and Saul is, again, continuing to plot to assassinate David. And so he's, he's waiting for David to show up because he wants him dead. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so um, it, says, it says in 1 Samuel 20, 41, or it, let me back up. Let me give you a little background. So they're going to have this banquet. And so banquets in those days were not just like a two hours, you know, from seven to nine. This was like days long. So the first day David wasn't there. So Saul's kind of like, all right, maybe he's unclean, you know, maybe he, he was out in battle, so he's like, maybe he touched a dead body or something. So, so David wasn't there, so Saul was kind of like, okay. But then the next day when David wasn't there, Saul was so incensed. He was, he was, then he was getting suspicious. He's like, why is he not here? And so it says in 1 Samuel 20, 41, it says, it says, as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside a stone heap and fell face to the ground and bowed three times. And then he and and Jonathan kissed one another and wept, and David wept the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we've both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So what had happened at this, during this time, is they had a, a boy, and this was like the secret code that um, Jonathan said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this boy shoot this arrow, and if I say Oh, it's beyond you. That's the sign like, go, run away. My dad's, you know, he's crazy. Or if I say, oh, it's on this side of you, then that means things are cool. You can come to the banquet. Everything's okay. But then when Jonathan saw how his dad was, he was just, he knew he is, he's intent on doing this. He is going to kill David. And he kind of resigned himself to it. And so they did this thing with the arrow and he, Basically, he warned David and he said, you need to go. The arrow is beyond you, is beyond this boy. And that was David's sign that he needed to leave. And they, and they kissed one another and they wept. David weeping the most. And part of it's because David realized at this point he had lost his relationship with Saul long before that, even though he kept trying to reconcile it. And then he had to lose his relationship with Jonathan because Jonathan had to continue to honor his father. And so um, they wept together. 
So a true friend suffers with their friend. A true friend suffers with their friend. You know, you've heard the term fair weather friend. They're the people that only want to be around you when you're in a good mood and happy and have lots of money or food, (laughs) right? Or bacon, right? Fair weather friends, as opposed to those who are like, they get down in the trenches with you and weep with you and grieve with you and mourn with you. Those are the true friends, the ones who go through everything with you, through thick and thin. You know, I, I had, after Eric passed away, I had, I had several friends that I knew they were there for me. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't really ask for permission. They didn't ask, what can I do for you? They just made me food, <laughs> hung out with me, wept with me, talked about Eric with me. You know, a true friend suffers with their friend. You know, it's a spiritual principle to mourn with those who mourn and grieve with those who grieve and weep with those who weep. A true friend suffers with their friend. And this is Proverbs seventeen seventeen, and you probably know this one. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I've told you the story of my friend, Billy Boyd. She had uh, stage four breast cancer, and um, she went through a lot, a lot of um, the treatments, radiation, chemo. And, and I asked her afterwards, I said, Billy, what's the, the main thing you learned through going through such a hardship and such a trial? She and her husband passed her in Santa Rosa, California. She said, the thing that I learned most was that whatever you've invested in is that from which you can withdraw. She said, so if you've invested into God's word and into God's people, then when you go through a trial, you can withdraw from God's word and from God's people. I think last week, um, somebody had posted something about the Casting Crowns concert. And one of the things that the guy said was, um, when you go through a hard time, that scripture you haven't read won't come back to your memory to help you get through your trial. Isn't that right? Investing in God's word and God's people. And sometimes when you suffer with your friend to, to remind them, that this is a season and that they're going to get through it, you know? I mean, for those of us who have gone through seasons of deep grief, we know, you know, that there are those times where, where when we come together, we, there's an understanding that you can suffer with that person and there's a bond. It's not something that makes you go, I don't want to be around them. It, there's a bond that's formed. <clears throat> so who's the person that you call first when you're hurting? When you're suffering, who's the person that you call first? And if you don't have someone today, let's, let's invite the Lord to speak to you and to, to place somebody on your heart and to give you the impetus and the, and the opportunity <clears throat> to develop a deep, lifelong friendship with someone. First Samuel twenty three sixteen it says Jonathan went to find David and he encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. So the tenth mark of a true friend is they lead their friend closer to the Lord. That's a true friend. You know, we we all have acquaintances, you know, and I mean, I think I have eighteen hundred friends on Facebook. <laughs> You know, and sometimes you scroll through and you're like, I don't even know who this person is. Why am I friends with them? Do you know what I'm saying? 
or Instagram. I was on Instagram yesterday and I was looking, I was like, I literally have no idea who this person is. And it's like, that's not really true friendship. True friendship is the people you've suffered with, the people you've prayed with, the people who may have led you to Christ or you've, they've discipled you or you've discipled them. And, and you know, it says in Proverbs eighteen twenty four, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, it's not always your family that you can rely on. If your family doesn't know the Lord, or if your family is um, dysfunctional, which, I mean, pretty much every family is dysfunctional. If you think back to the first family, one of the kids killed the other kid. So that's dysfunctional, right? I mean, all of our families have their dysfunction, but the thing is that, that it's talking about a brother. It's, it's talking about having fellowship with someone, sharing your faith. Like Jonathan encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. That is the mark of a true friend, is to encourage you to do that. And actually, through all of this, through all of the story of Jonathan and David, Jonathan is a type of, of, of Christ. You know, throughout the entire Old Testament, there are, there are symbols. You can see Jesus throughout the whole Old Testament. And here, Jonathan is that, is that type of a Messiah, in a sense. And I'm not saying that he's the one that died for the sins, but what he represents there is really the friendship that Jesus has for us. Again, John 15, 12, this is my commandment. Okay, now imagine the culture here. He's talking to people who have these 633 laws that they're supposed to keep. You know, um, don't mix these kind of materials together. Don't eat these different kind of foods. You have to do this. If you do this, you have to bring this animal in. I mean, reading through Leviticus, right? It's like all of these laws And Jesus is coming in there and he's going, this is my commandment. Love one another as I've loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. They sacrifice, they protect, they speak well of, they encourage, right? All of the things that Jonathan did for David, he laid down his life for him. Essentially, he gave him his position as king, That's not a little thing. That's a huge thing. And essentially, when it says that Jonathan took off his robe and gave it to David, that is a symbol of what Jesus has done for us. That he's taken off his robe. You know, he he was seated in the heavenlies. He was seated enthroned in righteousness and majesty. And he made himself human and came and lived a perfect sinless life. And he took that robe which represents his authority and he put that on us so that we too can be sinless in the eyes of God. That when God looks at us, he doesn't go, oh, that's a gossip or that's a greedy person. You know, God doesn't define us by our sin. God defines us through the eyes of his perfect son And when we receive that and when we accept that and when we have been forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, that is the way that we can be in relationship and fellowship with our maker and with Jesus. When he says, greater love is no one than this, then he laid down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. And what he commands us is to believe, to believe in the one 
that God has sent. That's what Jesus did for us. So let me just ask you this. Are you a true friend? Are you a true friend? Or are you just waiting for someone else to demonstrate friendship to you first before you respond? You know, because really, I mean, it's so interesting to me when people come and tell me, I'm so lonely, I don't have any friends. I'm thinking, how come there's so many different people that are so lonely that, you know, one of my favorite things is to see it when you guys have deep, close, intimate friendships. That's like my favorite thing, is to watch that and to watch God bring friendships together. But sometimes it takes us stepping out, laying down our life first, being a true friend, laying down our lives. There's only one perfect friend. You know, that's the thing. Jesus is the only one who's going to be the perfect friend, and he does stick closer than a brother. And when you are going through those trials, and you're going through hardships, or you're going through times where you're feeling lonely, he is near. He is the perfect friend. He does all of these things. He encourages us. He speaks well of us. He tells us. He reminds us who we are. He he forgives us. He protects and prays for us. It says he intercedes for us. That he's standing there giving intercession on our behalf. He's our perfect friend. And you know, I just, again, I, I know that I say this every week. But really, the only reason that this church exists is to love God and to love people. That's it. Everything else, I mean, and food, of course. <laughs> but to love God and to love his people, that's what we're about. That's what, that's the, that's what matters to God. You know, there's only two things that are going to last, God's word and God's people. So spend your life putting God's word into God's people. Little plug for the Bible. Read the Bible, (laughs) okay? Don't try to get through your Christian life without reading the Bible. It is your source of life. And I know that everything wants to keep you from it, but that is where you will find this intimacy and this friendship with Jesus is through reading his word, reading his love letter to you. And the only way that you can be a true friend is to model the way that Jesus loves. So could you stand Could we just surrender to him in this right now? Can you just hold your hands out as a symbol of just wanting to receive what God has for you? Well, Lord, we we thank you. We come before you. We thank you for this example of uh, Jonathan and David and their true friendship, Lord, and the way that Jonathan represents the way that you are a friend to us, Lord, that you, you... protect us, Lord, and that you encourage us, Lord, and you lift us up and speak well of us. Lord, we're so grateful that you are a true friend, Lord, and that we can be your friends, Lord, that you used to call us servants, but now you call us friends, Lord, and so we want to be like that. We want to be friends that lay down our lives and encourage and protect and speak well of and cover and all of those things, Lord. We want to be a friend like that. Give us the strength, Lord. And, and I pray right now, Lord, for those who are, who are lonely and feel alone. 
Lord, I just ask, God, that you would begin to deepen the relationships even among the people in this congregation. Lord, unify our hearts together. Lord, I pray that true friendships would develop. Lord, and even as people step out of their comfort zones and maybe even go to a community group for the first time, Lord, I pray that they would find true and lasting friendships. And I pray for those friendships that are that are deep now. I pray that you would make them even deeper, Lord. Lord, we just, um, we pray for protection against the, the spirit of division, against the enemy who would want to come in and, and um, cause us to be critical or to cause division. We pray, Lord, for unity. We pray that our relationships would grow first and foremost with you, our, our best friend and our true friend, Lord, but also with one another. We ask that you would strengthen us, Lord. Speak to us. Give us creative ideas on how we can be good friends to others. Just thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.